0: Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station.
1: And now it's my very great pleasure to introduce David Packham, OAM. David is a renowned scientist and researcher in the field of fire prevention and management. He has a Diploma of Applied Chemistry from RMIT and a Master's in Applied Science from the (coughs) the Victorian Institute of Colleges. He spent 20 years as Principal Research Scientist at the CSIRO, before moving on to become Director of the National Rural Fire Research Centre at the Chisholm Institute, now a part of Monash University, and was later Deputy Director of the Department of Defence at the Australian Counter-Disaster College. David is author and co-author of more than 50 academic publications. He co-developed a system of aerial prescribed burning, which has been adopted as a fire control technique across the world. He received the Order of Australia Medal in 1991 for his service to the development of aerial ignition techniques for bushfire management. Using his knowledge of smoke chemistry and dispersion, essential in remotely sensing bushfires, he jointly developed a technology which has gone on to create high-sensitivity building smoke detectors used across the world today. In more recent years, as a Senior Research Fellow in the School of Geography and Environmental Science at Monash University, his expertise on fire management has remained in high regard and he has undertaken consultancy across Australia and abroad. David has made multiple submissions to public inquiries, notably the 2009 Victorian Bushfires Royal Commission, and yet despite our continued failure to learn, He's agreed to appear today and share his experience once more. Please welcome David Packard.
0: Thank you, May. I first say thank you very much to Earth and to Richard for uh, arranging this uh, uh, event, and it is so good to see that there are people who are extremely interested in solving this problem. I would especially welcome you all to this event and there may well be some people who have a totally different view to what I have about how we should treat our country and you are extremely welcome too because we do need an honest open debate free of politics of how to with this push fire problem that we have generated in Australia. Enough pathologist reports of people who have died a horrible death in push fires, you know it is beyond politics and ideology. We have to find the solution and we will. Now, firstly, I want to pay my own tribute to the original fire managers uh, that were the stewards of this country, the Aboriginal people. They cared for and looked after this country with knowledge and a picture. We can do exactly the same. So thank you. Now, bushfires are not just fires. There is all sorts of fires. And on this first uh, image, there will be a fire that is the, in my view, the limit to prescribed burning fire intensity. It's about half a megawatt per meter, don't worry about you forget about those measures. you don't know too much about things until you can actually measure them in our society, in our culture we need to measure everything there'll be some wealthy people here there'll be some poor people here there'll be some wealthy people who believe they are poor and poor people who believe they are wealthy uh, the final, actual measure is what happens to be in your bank at the moment so we do need to measure things uh, there was some uh, when we came. I didn't drive here, uh, but we uh, watched some speeding. My wife uh, drove, uh, and I had an eye on the speeder uh, for a, for a lot of it So, if you're doing 60 km an hour up the Colman Street, you are speeding. If you do 60 km an hour on the Highway One, uh, you're in serious trouble because you're holding up the long trucks. So, you do need. To measure things. Right, we can measure fire. It is very easy. I can tell you how to do it quickly, but we won't waste time because so I only have nine minutes there, possibly even eight. But you measure in terms of megawatts per meter. Get the units. A prescribed must not exceed that. That is half a megawatt per meter fire and it should be possibly even one third of that. There, was, there is an Aboriginal gentleman from Cape York who has a wonderful turn of phrase when he talks about fires. And he says that when you burn the bush, you must not damage the crowns of the trees. You must not damage the crowns of the trees because that's where the birds and the animals and our ancestors left. That's almost a wonderful instruction for any organisation that goes about prescribed burning. Don't damage the crowns. Now that means your fires have to be less than that size. The other wonderful phrase you had fire like the water should trickle gently over the surface. That's what we mean when we talk about the strike burning. Uh, the next slide shows us how much fire you can put out if you're involved in firefighting. Fire. It doesn't matter whether you're in there with a knapsack, a tanker, uh, a large aircraft, a small aircraft, anything, that is the limit to your firefighting capability. After that two at uh, two and a half megawatts per meter, the fire wins. Full stop. That's just a matter of physics. The next one shows us a fire at about ten megawatts per meter. And that is when it is reaching into the crowns. And you'll notice the flames are about twice the tree height. Those trees are a bit of a they uh, they they're, they're, they're some low, low trees from up in the Northern Territory. It's not those fires weren't quite as dramatic as they looked But they're a illustration. At 10 megawatts per meter, the crowns are destroyed. A lot of the organic material on the ground is destroyed, and survival is impossible. If you are out causing a fire that is doing that, you will not survive. The next one shows us a big one. This is very similar to the fires of Black like Saturday, round about 70 megawatts per meter. So the mist that's flying around the place, they if you give us more tankers, more, res- more resources, another 500 aircraft, we are going to beat this. No way in the world these fires are going to win the battle between mm-hmm. them and you. Now, how do we deal with this problem? One of the issues that we hear a lot about at the moment is it is all due to global warming. If we turn off the power station or two, that fire will go out. It is an absolute nonsense. And my view of the relationship between uh, climate change and the bushfire problems that we have is that climate change is irrelevant to the bushfire problem. I keep an eye on climate change and the Earth's uh, lower atmospheric temperature. And what I have decided over the last 40 years, where there is a very good data set available, the Earth is warming. The Earth is warming to about one degree per century. Put that into the five behaviour equations, and what you find... Is that the contribution of global warming to the bushfires that we have at the moment is about 3% of the problem. The other 97% comes from the fuels. So it is just an absolute nonsense to suggest that if we do anything about climate changing, the bushfires will somehow mysteriously disappear. Maybe do a question on that, but I do know. Um, all of this was known, as Reb said, by the early, uh, the early graziers who picked up from the indigenous people as to how they cleaned the country. And this has been put together in a wonderful book by Professor Bill Gamage for the biggest estate on earth. Now, um, Bill is an impeccable academic scholarship through the roof. And quite justifiably he won the Prime Minister's prize for this book. So and Unwin are the publishers, and it tells the story of the indigenous peoples care for the country through fire. Now, in Western Australia, they had a very disastrous fire in 1961 called the Drilling Up Fire. That really scared the pants off of them. They they lost several towns, no lives. Uh, and of course, it, one of the truths of Australian bushfires have uh, happened also in Dwellinger is that they never lost the pub. Pubs don't burn down in bushfires. There's only one that I know of, and rumour has it that they wanted a new one anyway. <laughs> but another observation if you go around in the towns and cities and places like Ho like Ho, there's 67 fires or more. What you do find is that the churches almost always do burn down. Now, what's the explanation for that? Uh, simply that in times of crisis, Australians go to the pub and not to church. Because it is the people in the pubs that stop the pubs burning down. The West Australians after burning a fire, there's quite a funny little story about that. Before uh, the Second World War a grumpy forester called Alan Harris said we should do, we should look after the country by burning And there was a gentleman called Lane Hill who had been sent out by the British colonial office to teach these colonials that fire is bad and it should never uh, occur here. He had however done something because he introduced scientific forestry to Australia. It hasn't persisted because we do not have a forestry school in Australia. There is no real honest tertiary forestry education. That is one of the tragedies that we face at the moment. And should be. We, uh, well, SCOMO, that's one job you can do if you're going to help us fix this problem. And uh, what they did was some extraordinary good research going back into the 1930s. And Alan Harris pointed out in 1942, I think it was, to the Australian government that they were expecting a Japanese invasion in West Australia, and they were worried that the
1: uh, the military,
0: the Japanese military people
1: would know how to ignite our
0: forests and render them impossible, render any defence impossible. His solution was to let spring go out and burn it before they get here. Uh, that never happened. But what happened in 61, the of fires, whereupon the minister called uh, the Conservative forests into his office and said, Look, you've had a terrible time with these fires, absolutely terrible. I don't want you to worry about it. And you don't have to worry about it because you're now safe. And he put Harris in. And Harris said to the next person down, uh, uh, fix it and he said the next person to takes fix it, that's the advantage in the reality because if you don't know how to do it you can find somebody else to help. <laughs> uh, and George Peck who was fighting uh, there was a fire research over he fixed it and uh, I was lucky enough to be able to work with George giving him the incendiary device and some of the fire techniques that enabled him to fix it and we did fix it And how well does it work? Well the next slide will show you. This slide on the horizontal axis is the amount of your forest that you prescribe burn every year. Up the right hand side is about twenty percent. That's where we reached in Western Australia. On the vertical axis is the amount of country that you're going to burn in the next four years from your bushfires. This is actual uh, experience. This is what they have measured and found over about 40 years. There is no argument against this threat. The nonsense of we here at the moment that if you lock the forest up and you don't burn them, then uh, everything will be terrific. They won't burn, ultimately. It's absolute garbage. But this is what happens. You'll see The curve stops at about 4 or 5 per cent per annum. Bear in mind, the Royal Commission originally came to the conclusion that you must, to get on top of this bushfire problem, burn 5 to 8 per cent of your forest area each year. At a minimum, politics got into it, pressure was applied, the Royal Commissioner changed his mind, and out of the final result, and 5% and the minimum disappeared. Now 5% is just slightly to the right of where that line starts. And you can see that you're going to suffer severe bushfire problems. It's not until you get to around about 10 or 12% that the issue, the problem, is really dropping off. And about 15% you have got Australia back to Australia Felix, a happy, healthy forest That is where we must be. Now, after the Royal Commission, before the Royal Commission, So, when you have a look at that graph, you see that around about 12% up to about 15% is where you're really gaining. You have fixed the problem, the bushfire problem will fundamentally disappear. Now, one of the odd little things is that if you do that prescribed burning, and I won't go into the physics and chemistry of it, it can be extremely boring. But if you undertake a program of prescribed burning, you burn under gentle conditions. Victor Stefferson, like water, should trickle across the surface. You don't burn a whole lot. Carbon remains, quite a lot of carbon remains in the soil. Some of the carbon goes up in the smoke. And then things regrow. When they regrow, they get the carbon dioxide back. It turns out that compared to a high-intensity fire, and after a high-intensity bushfire, there is nothing alive. It is weird going into a big forest where you uh, can hear nothing. The birds, there are no birds. It's not that the birds are silent, there are no birds. There are no animals. The silence
1: is unusual and quite weird. Then if you look at how much charcoal and carbon areas in the
0: soil, you find none. I have measured it. I've gone out, taken samples of these areas and done carbon analysis and things like that. It's nothing. Nothing is left after high-intensity fire. And it happens that every time you do a prescribed burn, over the years when things start to uh, regrow, you see sequest <coughs> 26% of the carbon that is in the atmosphere. You make a profit if you're interested in uh, in lowering your carbon emissions. You make a profit. If, if somebody did put a, a price on this carbon that you uh, sequest, you could pay for all the prescribed burning, and it would probably cost Australia... Back of the envelope calculations need to be checked, of course, somewhere around about $40 million per year. Now, that's not a bad game because the alternative is every 30 years you do what we've just done and that's going to cost you billions. Seems a very good investment as far as I'm concerned. And one of the unfortunate things is that our research has now come under the total control of the fire agencies. Nobody can publish research in Australia unless the fire agencies agree with what they're about to say. And this is a terrible thing. And it has got to be fixed. And down the bottom of what I said, uh, we need a small, economic, totally independent research unit. And I'll just read the last paragraph here, because I bet I'm about to do the Um, As bushfire fuel is dead, fallen leaves, bark and twigs. That's the fuel that's causing the problem. Perhaps the government could support the funding of a twiggy forest fire institute.